Hello everyone, I'm Renee Barabal, the Practical Shaman, uh, the Nautilus Gold Hay House author of Winds of Spirit. And I have a wonderful guest today, and we, and he, unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to him, you know, the, we, I'm talking about the Greek cardinal winds in my book, and he's all about Greek mythology. So I'm very excited to have uh, Ed Tick, PhD, with me. Let me just give you a little bit about his biography. Prolific author, psychotherapist, educator, international activist, and journey leader, Ed Tick, PhD, is honored for his 40 years of pioneering work healing the invisible wounds of war and violent trauma. He was co-founder, director of the nonprofit Soldiers Heart, Inc. for 13 years and continues to support war healing internationally. He is the Pentagon-appointed subject matter expert on post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury. In addition, his new book, Soul Medicine, Healing Through Dream Incubation, Visions, Oracles, and Pilgrimage, uh, is it out yet? Yes, okay. just this week. It's just just came out. So Thank you're you. you're getting it here first, everyone. That's right. Uh, Thank you for uh, helping premiere it, Rene. Is one of his uh, one of his uh, four books, and uh, his other books. He's got a book of poetry, a nonfiction book on war and the soul's warrior return, and two books on poetry. So his books have been translated into Ukrainian, Greek, Vietnamese. Bulgarian, Japanese, and Italian. Wow, let's just hop right on into this conversation because there's a lot to unpack here. And we have layers and layers and layers of overlay, including the Greek winds. Especially today for us, yes. Right, because we're, we're talking more about the shamanic, but I was also telling Ed right before we hopped on that I, I, I run a marketing department for a behavioral health care organization. And just this week, Ed, I was um, creating a logo for them for our, our veterans program, because right now we have 30% of our, our facility has vets. And so, you know, to me, there is no difference. There's no separation between shamanism and veterans and war and, and, and marketing for a major behavioral health care company. So let's talk about this. Um, I want to talk about the rituals for healing PTSD and your work with the war veterans. And I know that's not what this book is totally about, but can we start there and then weave in? Yes, we sure can. And this book actually is partially about that because uh, in this book, I do share and document uh, my last 20 years of work in the Greek, the ancient Greek spiritual tradition, how to use it. And uh, uh, I lead healing pilgrimages to Greece uh, at least every year. The pandemic stopped it, but I led um, 23 healing journeys to Greece. I've also led 19 to Vietnam. So I use pilgrimage extensively for healing. And there is much about the warrior tradition in this book as well. There's several chapters on warriors. And uh, I was actually transformed in my understanding of how to work with our veterans through the Greek tradition. Uh, I've been working with our veterans. I'm older, some of us are. So I'm the Vietnam generation. And I've been working with our veterans since the very end of the Vietnam War, since uh, 1976, 77. That was about five years before PTSD became a diagnosis. After about 10 years of the best psychotherapy I could do, I realized that what we call post-traumatic stress disorder is a much larger, more comprehensive wound than we understand. And it needs much more 
extensive healing practices. So I've been doing worldwide research and the way other cultures, especially traditional and shamanic cultures, were able to uh, heal their warriors and take the war out of them, really heal the trauma. And in particular, I've had a connection to the Greek tradition my whole life. I read the Iliad when I was 10 years old. <laughs> so, so that also began introducing me to the warrior tradition. So uh, in 1987, I went on a solo pilgrimage to Greece to study their ancient citizen warrior tradition and see what could I learn about from them about how to heal what we call PTSD. Uh, tra trauma, by the way, for our listeners, trauma is an ancient Greek word. Uh, and it I didn't know that. Spelled the same, it looks the same, but it's pronounced travma in Greek. And the original meaning was a stabbing or a piercing wound. But the ancient people, and you and I and our colleagues are trying to bring this back, think holistically and psycho-spiritually. So if somebody was stabbed by a sword or a spear or an arrow, it wasn't only a travma wound to the body, it was also to the mind and the heart and the soul and the community. They understood that the wounds are holistic uh, to every aspect of our being. All right. So um, in 1987, I went to see Euripides play the Trojan women <laughs> in the, uh, the ancient healing sanctuary of Epidavros, which is partly where medicine began and where our medical tradition was born there. That was a life-changing evening, and it is so we can uh, that one evening of theater can change our lives entirely. The Trojan Women is probably uh, one of the greatest anti-war plays ever written, and I sat in the front row as uh, the Queen of Troy. Uh, the Trojan Women is about all of the universal wounds of war, so it shows uh, it's after the, the, the war is over and the women are being taken away as slaves and captives. The children are being killed. The city is being destroyed. And the degree of awareness of the, the deep wounding of war and catharsis through theater. Theater originally, uh, we both know this, our friends need to know this. Uh, Euripides was a general in the Athenian army. He wasn't uh, who was protesting war and the way the Athenians were doing it. A theater originally was Dionysian ritual. It came from the spring rebirth rituals of Dionysus that are hundreds of years older than what we know as theater. So they were originally sacred practices. And the three great tragedians we know of, Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, were all combat veterans. They became, they invented tragedy as a form of communal uh, catharsis, ritual catharsis for the entire community. So the actors were veterans. Most, almost everybody in the audience were veterans. The women and, uh, and the slaves in the audience uh, had suffered war as well. So through theater, people, they saw their spiritual condition. They saw the spiritual condition everybody has. They heard and through profound poetry of how the soul is wounded by war and violence. And they achieved intense catharsis through viewing the tragedy and, uh, and that significantly cleansed their trauma. 
and then they uh, afterwards had more ritual that reintegrated them in the community. So I didn't know any of that back in 1987 when I saw the play, and it was in the major healing sanctuary from the ancient world. So I had to think about what were the rituals the Greeks had, what other rituals did they have, and what was the con connection to the healing sanctuary? Well, it turns out that the healing sanctuary was the principal sanctuary of the healing god Asclepios. And the Asclepian tradition is the origin of medicine and psychology in the Western world. And it was profoundly spiritually based, holistic, had massive, complex, beautiful rituals, and it, it evolved from shamanism and continued for about 2000 years to use shamanic practices for what we would consider medical healing. Only in about 500 AD did the early Christian church and the development of scientific medicine crush the practice of shamanism in medicine and psychology. But for 2000 years, that's where we come from. That's where psychology and medicine come from. That's our roots. And uh, people like you and I and our colleagues are trying to help us get back to our roots and reintegrate uh, spirituality with scientific medicine. Absolutely. There was three things that I thought of. You know, I, many times I've been to Peru and I watched uh, the Inti Raimi where they reenacted, you know, the war battle and, and bringing back the sun. And the other thing when I was um, going through your book, I was thinking about, I was thinking Sorry, about, that's okay. Okay, we're good. When I was going through the book, I was thinking about that during the year of the pandemic, I had tickets to the Passion Play in Germany. And so, and it, it was reenacted every 10 years since the Black Plague, but they canceled yes. it that year because of, you know, because of the lockdown. And so for me, when you were talking about synchronicities and dreams and omens and and how how we mark time, I was thinking about, yeah, that the passion play became for me the year that I didn't go to the passion play, that the year that the passion play moved by two years, the, that I, I, I really believe in my my shamanic wisdom that we reset time, that we, we were moving too fast or we were, that we had to really have a readjust. And then the third thing that I thought of is that we're doing a, an emerging themes and behavioral health conference in April at UCLA. And one of the things that we've integrated this year is that we're bringing in the kin, the musical group, to actually have people start to use their voices. We're going to, we have a, a C-suite for executives on how to use your voices because people are exhausted, the workforce is diminishing and all of these. But that what you go back to is that these are soul problems. These are ancient rooted problems that we can go back to 500 AD to look at and to see, and I say in the wind work tradition, it's because we move from outside to inside. And when we moved from to inside, all of a sudden we were looking through wind eyes and needed an intermediary to get our information. Whereas the soul healing went on in those, um, in the places for the theater, like, you didn't need a teacher to go to the theater and have an experience. You had an experience that then pivoted and changed your life. Yes, right. I'll build on that in several ways. Um, Hippocrates, who we call the father of scientific medicine, was actually 
He was that. He was mostly a naturopath, and he did scientize medicine. But his father, his grandfather, the entire tradition he came from was the Asclepian tradition. And his father and grandfather were priests, and he grew up in the Asclepian sanctuaries. So scientific medicine, as we know it, grew directly out of the older shamanic medicine tradition. The sanctuaries that we know that there were over 320 uh, holistic healing sanctuaries. And talk about integrative medicine and bringing back um, the arts, the humanities, uh, and ritual. In these sanctuaries for 2,000 years, everything was practiced. There was theater. There were poetry readings. There was astrology. Uh, there was acupressure, um, gymnastics, nutrition, um, psychodrama. The, the theaters were used that way. Um, color therapy, hydrotherapy everything so it was completely holistic and unlike our holistic healing sanctuaries today it was free everybody was welcome emperors and slaves men and women all were welcome uh, and they weren't charged anything they paid what they could afford for the healing when they left so a slave could give an apple and that was equivalent in the god's eyes to an emperor building a new building the, the core practice, however, was not all of the holistic practices we've mentioned, where when we go to holistic sanctuaries today, um, we hope and trust that that will be, bring us uh, integrative healing, and that's good. However, there was a shamanic practice in the core. After people spent time receiving the various complementary practices, and they were strong enough and if they received a vision or a dream from the God, from the spirit world that told them it's time to come into the God's temple and do what they called dream incubation. <laughs> and that was, uh, well, we know Carl Jung and how he differentiated between the everyday little dreams that we have all the time and the big dream, the archetypal dream. When the spirits come to us in the dream world and we know something big has happened and we've been changed and our, our souls have been touched and awakened. Well, this practice was specifically to seek big dreams, visions. Uh, so people went into a special building that was reserved for nothing else. Uh, like Native Americans going uh, climbing a mountain for a vision quest, they went into a special building for a dream quest. And How long would they stay there? As long as necessary. They were fasting. They were praying. Um, they actually slept. The, the couch they slept on was called the clinicos. We get the name, our, the word clinic from that. <laughs> and they would stay for as short or as long as it took. They could stay for hours. They could stay for days. There were records of people staying three, four, five days. Um, they stayed until they received a dream or a vision or some kind of visit from the spirit world, from the god, the healing god Asclepius, or any of his totems, uh, especially the snake, but also the dog and the rooster. Also, um, his daughters, Igia and Yaso and Panacea were his three daughters. They also were healing spirits who came to people in dreams. He also had a dwarf helper named Telesphoros, which was like a dwarf god of fertility and the inner child. So all of these, any of these would come to people in their dreams and visions. And people had these big dreams where they were either 
healed in the dream. So they literally woke up healed or they were given prescriptions for how to heal themselves. So yeah. they were given uh, recipes, formulas for, for uh, herbal remedies. They were given um, rituals and exercise routines, uh, whatever the gods, the spirit world determined or their soul determined this is what they really needed for their healing. And you're right. It was absolutely soul healing. And they understood that everything that afflicts us is actually comes from the soul. So back to Hippocrates for a moment. Um, Hippocrates said, all illness begins in the soul and ends in the body. They say and that I in the in the Caro tradition, they say something similar, that all of the all of the illnesses are out here. And then we bring them into our bodies and manifest them into that. So I think that's probably a similar kind of concept. Uh, it is, and it points to another uh, concept of spiritual medicine, and that is today when we go see a doctor, they, what's wrong? What are your symptoms? What disease do you have? Wrong. It should be the other way around. Hello, how are you today? I want to know the person you are and what disease did the, or illness did you call to yourself it's the person who has a challenge not the challenge that dominates that we have to wipe out so we need to reverse the whole process back to genuinely person-centered and holistic practices that use ritual and other means for appealing to the soul the other night I went to see this woman who's a physical therapist who's a faith healer. And so instead of asking me what was wrong, like was your neck out or your, you know, your, you know, your lower back out, she said, let's sit down and have a conversation. And we talked for like maybe an hour and a half. And then she put me on the table for about five minutes and we were done. <laughs> My doctor, on the other hand, in the desert, I'll go to her and she'll say, so why don't you get the flu shot? I said, well, right. why don't you ask me who I am and why that's not in my purview that I would even consider having, you know, this flu shot. And, and so it's just like, whatever, sign me out and I'm, you know, I'm good for another year in case I need a doctor. And, and, and so you're right, we're, we're really backwards there in, in our medicine. And that's why I, I work for a behavioral health care organization that is led by two rabbis and a Christian minister. And so when I said I was a shaman, it just fit in just nice. And and we that's how we that's how we that's where we start in our behavioral health care organization. What's your spirit? What are you going to bring your soul to this work and not like, you know, what is your degree type of thing? I mean, some things we need degrees, but so you were talking about there's a difference between dreams and visions. What's the similarity and what's the difference? Uh, well, I would oversimplify this and say a vision is a waking dream. Okay. <laughs> okay. We, we like that. Simple's best. Yeah. Um, I was about to say both come from the spirit world, but dreams may or may not. Uh, so we recognize that we have the, the, our, the individual uh, levels. We have our consciousness and our subconscious, and we have a personal unconscious. And then we have the collective unconscious. And the deeper and deeper we go, the more universal we are until we are one with the cosmos. Um, not Dreams and visions can come from any level of our being. 
Uh, so that's how Jung was differentiating little dreams and big dreams. And he got the name big dream actually from um, a, uh, an indigenous tribe in Labrador who taught him about big dreams. And when the spirits come in the dreams, they're big dreams. So um, we, can, we can have waking visions uh, from the spirit world. And we can also have big dreams when we receive a spiritual presence, powers, teachings uh, in our dream life. So I would say there's the main difference that I'm focusing on is that we can have them awake or asleep. And when we're awake, we call them visions. When we sleep, we call them dreams. Can you give the listeners a tip or two on how to how to dream? Like how, you know, if you say, I, I want to dream because right now it's like, wow, what am I going to do next? How do I how do I call forth that spirit, call forth that dream? Uh, there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Um, in the Greek, the ancient Greek tradition, that uh, dream questing, the dream incubation was very, um, I'm sorry, getting old, intentional, very intentional. So people didn't just go to the sanctuaries to have a good spiritual experience. They went when they were in serious need. And in fact, one of the teachings of ancient Greek medicine was uh, we should turn to each other. Human beings need to help each other with whatever wisdom and practices we have. And we only go to the spirit world. We only bother the gods and the goddesses when we reach the limits of human wisdom and we need help from, from the universe, from the cosmos. So uh, that being said, we need we, uh, to recognize some impelling need and that we're asking for guidance or help in addressing this need. Uh, and we can do our own small or large incubations in the ancient Greek way, modeling it in the ancient Greek way. Um, simple things are, uh, I urge everybody, keep a journal next to your bed, keep a dream, keep an ongoing dream journal. And when people say they don't dream, well, have that journal there anyway. And if you have the slightest fragment of a dream, write it down. You can increase your dream memory through practice. So keep the journal there, grab, don't jump up. If you can, if you, if you can wake up without an alarm clock, that's better. Hmm. But don't jump up out of your bed and out of sleep, but go slowly, speed in meditation and see what images are still there and let them emerge. And sometimes we can recover more of our dreams just by moving slowly. But Collect the fragments, move slowly, and much more than that. Identify your compelling need. Uh, pray about it to whatever spirits uh, guide you, whatever spirits you've been working with, and ask them to visit you in your dreams. Uh, write about it in your journal. Uh, write it on a piece of paper. Write your compelling need or your deep life question on a piece of paper and put it under your pillow. Mm, I like that one. And then if you really want to intensify the process, then practice a mini incubation. Uh, in the ancient Greek world, we went into the holistic sanctuaries for a while and really prepared our bodies. But we can do that individually as well. Take a day off, fast, meditate, pray, talk to your spirits, be in front of your altar uh, and 
turn off your electronics, turn off anything that interrupts your connection to your deepest self, to your soul, and stay there and tell your friends and your family not to bother you. Hmm. Uh, and and put yourself in put yourself in bed or on your couch or in meditation wherever you like to do it and really stay there even if you can't sleep and let the the fantasies and the imagery come uh, go on guided imagery journeys whatever comes to you and follow it suspend your rationality don't question what's happening definitely don't analyze it while it's happening you plenty of time to do that later when you come back into shared reality um so the, the, these are some of the ways we can increase our dream activity and over time as we said practicing dream memory will increase it and the more intensive you do the ritual uh the more you're going to open yourself to the personal and collective unconscious depths and reduce the noise from our egos and from our rational minds so the dreams and the visions can come through. Those are great tips. So let's turn to your your book and and the it was funny you were saying turn off the TV, do all of these things. And what we found is like most people don't even have enough attention span anymore to to listen to an hour podcast. So I want to turn people's attention back to your book and why did you write this book? Why now? Because when I think of Greece, I think of, oh, I want to go to Greece to eat. I don't, I never thought about going to Greece to, to dream. That's a problem in our modern world. Yes. Um, why now? Why Greece? Okay. One reason is that I've been doing this work for, um, since my own quests back in the 1980s. So, I've been working in the Greek tradition for over 40 years and I love it. And it's brought profound healing for me through these practices. Um, so, and, uh, so that's one reason. A second reason is you and I and our colleagues are very concerned about restoring true healing through our medical and psychological practices. And we don't have that now. We need it, and we're trying. Many of us are trying to repair it, and returning to the spiritual and communal sources of our healing enterprises can profoundly help heal. Um, just like in in uh, in psychotherapy, um, when we go to our childhood wounds to find out how they misshaped us and how we're still carrying those wounds, we dig into the past, into the origin of the wound. Well, we can do that culturally as well. Medicine has been lost its soul and has been struggling to find it and reintegrate for thousands of years. So one of my core reasons for writing this book is to help the process that you and I are both involved in to try to restore the soul to medicine and psychology. People don't even know that our words for these um, disciplines come from the ancient Greek tradition. Psyche doesn't mean mind. It means means soul. Hmm. Psychology, we learn psychology means the study of the mind. Uh-uh. Psyche is soul, and logi comes from logos, which is the order and meaning of the cosmos. Hmm. So psychology is supposed to be about the order and meaning of the soul. 
therapy means to serve or to attend. So a psychotherapist is literally a servant of the soul. Yatros means doctor. So a psychiatrist is a soul doctor, psychiatros, not a medication dispenser. So I've really, after my entire career in the healing professions, uh, I've been doing everything I can to restore our, the wisdom from the ancient world and bring it into the modern world to help restore our holistic and spiritually based practices of healing. In addition to all that, <laughs> uh, the goddess Scorpius in ancient times, he showed up uh, when, uh, when culture was in really dire straits. Mm. So we just had the pandemic. We still have it. We have plague. Asclepian practices were br brought to ancient Athens in about, I forget the year, but like 323 BC when Athens was in plague. And so the spirit of Asclepius arrived in the city to help heal the plague. About 150 years later, Rome was in plague and Rome sent an envoy to Epidros, that major healing sanctuary, to do dream incubation for all of Rome to find out how they could heal the plague. And he had a big dream and vision that told him to bring the sacred snakes from the Escapian sanctuary back to Rome and create a sanctuary in Rome for this healing God and set up these practices and that would help Rome heal the plague. So, and then at the end of, this tradition was all, almost disappeared until the end of World War II. And this is an amazing story. The end of World War II, British hostilities were over. British troops were bivouacked in Epidavros, the old healing sanctuary. They didn't know where they were, or what was going on. One morning, a delegation of soldiers came to their commanding officers and said, get us out of this place. It's haunted. What do you mean it's haunted? No such thing. The soldiers reported that their entire unit, everybody was having the same dream every night of a bearded ancient man dressed in a robe and sandals, carrying a caduceus, a snake wrapped staff and walking through their camp. Hmm. They saw it. They saw him trying to return at the end of World War II. And that's when the Jungian tradition, so Jung and some of his followers, um, rediscovered the tradition, and that's when we have uh, we have several thousand testimonies from ancient Greece from this tradition that recorded their healings and taught us how to do them. That were only translated and published around the world in many languages at the end of World War II. So it's as if this healing power, the sacred healing power, tries to come back to us when we are in dire condition can't solve our problems ourselves and we need to turn to the divine. I absolutely so, agree because the wind spirits have told me they were quiet for 2,500 years. And it was only, you know, at these major pivotal points in time that they come out and really try to get our attention. And so I don't believe that there's any small wonder that my, the cardinal winds that I were, were calling upon in my group are the, the Greek cardinal winds you know, that, that you should be sitting here today. So tell people where they can get your book, because I'm really looking forward to digging in a little bit more into it. And I think it's, 
it's a must for your your bookshelves, especially because you were healers and so much of this did come from, you know, what we believe, you know, as healers is what healing is and what healing isn't. And I think that this book is going to give you a good insight to, you know, how the gods played a role in that as well. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, so it was just released last week. So again, thank you very much for helping me premiere it to all of our friends out there. Uh, so it is on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's um, available from the publisher, which is Inner Traditions. Uh, and again, for all of our friends out there, it's really good and helpful to authors when you ask your favorite bookstore for a book <laughs> and buy it in the bookstore. Uh, when the bookstores know the public has some interest, you know, Joe and Sally will go in and order two books. Well, the bookstore will say, I'm going to order a half a dozen and have them on my shelf because people are interested. And we continue to keep bookstores alive that way and give the small people who are struggling to do good stuff for our world to give them support. So Amazon, the publisher, your favorite bookstore, write me a letter, any of the above. Well, this is really a great pleasure to meet you. One last thing, will you be taking any more uh, expeditions, pilgrimages to Greece again now that we've lifted some of the travel restrictions? Thank you for asking. Yes, I was in Greece in, um, I led a journey after three years of not being able to go back. I led a pilgrimage in December uh, that was quite wonderful. And it was actually half Greek and half American um, travelers. And so we were integrating the cultures uh, that way and overlapping our own uh, unconscious and cultural imagery. It was really fascinating. And we got to the universal together. So I did that in December and I'm actually going back in March. And so I have another journey that I'm leading at the end of March. And so if That's somebody wanted to know more about one of your journeys, what's your website address? And I'll put it in the I'll put it in the the comments as well. But uh, where can people find you? Okay. Uh, well, I have two websites. One is mentorthesoul.guide. Mentorthesoul.guide. Yes. And then I have another one that's uh, more for my writing, which is just edwardtick.com. Awesome. Perfect. Well, it's a real pleasure to get to know you. And, and I have a feeling we're going to be having some more conversations and uh, we'll get to know each other a little bit better. Everyone, what he said, support books, support my book. My audio book is being produced right now. I'm looking forward to this wonderful man who's reading it. It will be coming out probably in April and order a copy of his book. And if you know somebody else who's written a book, support them too. So from the Practical Shaman, have a wonderful day, and we will be back with you again soon.